Okay, so what am I looking at here? This is video of the lower house in Afghanistan, Jirga. <laughs> Uh, it's video of a brawl that broke out when a new speaker was selected for the country's assembly of leaders. And someone just threw a chair. Someone just, someone just threw a chair over the desk. Uh, the speaker who was just elected, his name is Mir Rahman Romani. He's a former general turned businessman turned politician. His opponents say the vote was rigged. Some say it was even bought and paid for. Of course, he denies that. Your Excellency, the President and Honorable Members of the IPU. Romani stands out among his fellow Afghan citizens in a number of ways. For one, he's very rich in a country of extreme poverty, but also because he used that wealth to purchase citizenship for himself and for his family to another country, the Mediterranean island of Cyprus. And this man, whose election was so controversial it led to fighting in the Jirga, is one of thousands who made great fortunes in their home country only to seek solace for themselves and their money in the form of a Cypriot golden passport. This is Al Jazeera Investigates. I'm Kevin Hurton. Today's episode, The Cyprus Papers. It's a major leak of documents obtained by Al Jazeera's investigative unit, and it reveals how Cyprus made millions of dollars selling citizenship to public individuals like Mr. Romani, and in some cases even sold them to criminals. There is an island in the Mediterranean where prosperity is a way of life. Passports are big business in Cyprus, generating more than 8 billion U.S. dollars for the economy, and it's launched an entire cottage industry around it. How to get fast Cyprus passport with citizenship by investment. In this video, I'll talk about the cost, the advantages, and the time frame of obtaining a Cypriot citizenship. Michael here, offshore citizen. We are in beautiful Cyprus. It's one of only three EU countries that sell citizenship, so-called golden passports, and they are not cheap. Since then, the minimum investment amount has been reduced more than by half, making it 2 million euro. Two million euros is a lot of money, but the perks are pretty obvious. For one, you get visa-free travel access to half the world. But perhaps more importantly, you and your money get access to the EU common market. And that's where this thing starts to get controversial. There is growing criticism of the Golden Passport program within Cyprus. Critics say it lacks transparency. The EU Commission is warning that such golden passports will allow organized crime gangs to infiltrate the bloc and that will cause problems with tax evasion, money laundering and corruption. The Cypriot government has defied repeated EU calls to phase out this scheme. And despite efforts to tighten restrictions, the program remains opaque. And it's a magnet for oligarchs and big moneyed interests looking for a toehold in Europe. Which brings us back to this leak, what we're calling the Cyprus Papers. What is it exactly? Well, we have applications for everyone who bought a Cypriot passport for over two years, starting in 2017. Mir Rahman Ramani, Afghan national. Ibrahim. Application date, 2017. Application date, Chung Lei. 
Chinese National. Li Jiadong, Chinese National. Date of application, October 2018. Evgeny Dud, Russian National. Application date, 2500 individuals from 74 countries. And we are going to break it down and highlight what this reveals about the controversial Golden Passport program and, importantly, some of the individuals seeking citizenship. Ali Alexei Soldatov. Alexei Kulikov. Russian National. Russian National. Application date? Russian National. Andrei December Russian National. Yuri Avadovsky. Russian National. Nikola Zlachevsky. Ukrainian National. To help us make sense of this, we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to do a rapid-fire rip around the world with multiple members of our investigative unit who have been working on this story for months, starting with our correspondent in London, Deborah Davies. Deborah. Hi, Kevin. I want to start by asking you about one of the prominent names on our list, Mikola Zlachevsky. Who is he? So Zlachevsky is a very well-known Ukrainian, and he is interesting to us for two reasons. One, in Ukraine's previous pro-Russian government, Zlachevsky held a couple of ministerial positions. He also has this massive energy company called Burisma, registered in Cyprus, but based in Ukraine. President of the United States, who has just been impeached, he's now... Breaking news, it concerns the Ukrainian company Burisma, which is at the center of the impeachment saga. By this point, it was clear that Burisma was code for the Bidens. Burisma, the company where Hunter Biden was later a director, was granted gas extraction licenses, while its owner, Mykola Zlochevsky, was minister of the environment. And he and Burisma have been under investigation pretty well off and on since 2012 for money laundering, tax evasion, corruption, theft of government funds. Back in June, the Ukrainian prosecutors held a very dramatic press conference. They walked in with these enormous plastic bags bulging with $100 bills. And they said, this is $6 million in cash that we have been offered as a bribe to drop our investigations into Slachevsky and Burisma. Now, he and the company deny any involvement in that. Whoever was behind it, it hasn't worked. The money's been seized. The investigation is ongoing. But you can see why it's useful to have a Cypriot passport when you're wanted in Ukraine. He's been summoned back for questioning. He didn't turn up. One of the reasons we're starting with Lachevsky is because he fits into both of the two broad categories of people that we're highlighting. Let's start with the first category. That's people who are connected in some way to criminal activities. We've got a range of people, some who are under active investigation, some who are wanted, some who have been charged, some who've been convicted and actually served prison sentences. We've got about 30 where we have confirmed some level of a brush with the law. At least half of those are Russian. A few of them are Ukrainian and Chinese. There are a couple of Vietnamese and Iranian. It's, it's pretty well a who's who of the world's criminals. So, Deb, it's pretty obvious why the first category is controversial, but there's another category we want to uh, highlight here. Those are PEPs. Now, this is a term that's well known to anti-corruption investigators, but probably not something most people are familiar with. Can you explain what a PEP is? So a PEP is a politically exposed person. And in simple terms, that means someone who holds an official 
public position. They might be an elected representative of the parliament or they might be a senior director of a state-owned enterprise. The key thing is they've got access to public money. It means they can offer bribes, they can be bribed, and that's what makes them high risk. We asked Sven Giegold, who's a member of the European Parliament and a fierce critic of these golden passport schemes, to explain why PEPs are considered risky. In many countries, economic power and political power are very close to each other. Therefore, if you are a politician, you are seen as a potentially high-risk person, in particular when you come from countries where you have high risks of corruption. So it's really important to remember that in many countries, the way to get rich is through your political connections. The relationships, they come before the law. Um, so an individual may make as much money as possible and then try to get not just their money, but also their families out. And that's something that was surprising when you look at this list of names. So many of them are family members of powerful people, right? We've actually got 1,400 applications, but we've got 2,500 names. And that's because 1,100 more are relatives, normally a wife or a husband, sometimes elderly parents, quite often one or two kids. So we mentioned Zlachowski. There's one more Ukrainian on the list that I'd like to ask you about, Oleg Bakhmatyuk. Bakhmatyuk is another very high-profile Ukrainian. And the key thing, I think, about all the Ukrainians is that they were people who were part of the pro-Russian elite that ran Ukraine before. Now that pro-Russian elite has gone, many of them are facing what they consider retaliation from the current Ukrainian regime. Bakhmatyuk runs a massive agricultural company and is now charged with embezzlement and money laundering. He replied to us and he called the charges absurd and politically motivated. He also sent us a court document which said the charges have been dropped. But when we checked that with the official Ukrainian prosecutor, we discovered that in fact a higher level court was upholding the charges and he's definitely still on their wanted list. That does show you the complexity of some of these cases bouncing to and fro through the legal system. Yeah, and he he actually made good use of his passport. It really came in handy. It's how he got out of the country. Bakhmatyuk is one of many of these passport holders for whom the passport has been a stay-out-of-jail card. They can actually live out of Ukraine. Crucially, they don't have to go back to Ukraine to answer any of these charges. Deborah, thank you. You're very welcome. Oleg Bakhmatyuk, Ukrainian national. Sergei Kachaturov, Russian national. Charles Chengpeng, Chinese national. Damir Muganev. Russian national. Alexei Ananayev, Russian national. Application date, May 2018. So now we're going to call up uh, one of our producers, also in the London office, Alex Crutcher. He's been specializing in the Russian angle of this project. Alex, how you doing? Hi, Kevin. Good to hear from you. Alex, there's more Russians on this list than any other nationality. Can you break down the numbers, first of all, but also just explain why so many Russians are going to this island? Of the almost 2,500 names on the list, a thousand of them are Russians. I mean, you only need to walk around the 
marina in Limassol, Cyprus's second city, to see not only the Russian money being spent there, but just how welcome Russians feel there. You'll see signs for shops and bars and restaurants, all in Russian. It has become very much Moscow on the Med, a, a, a Mediterranean home for uh, Russians. So why are the Russians going to Cyprus? Well, we put that question to a Russian expert, Nigel Gould Davis, of the International Institute for Strategic Studies. I think Russians are looking for places to send their money, sometimes vast sums of money, to safety. They do not trust their own Russian state to leave them or their assets alone. And they are looking for a place that will not scrutinize their applications too closely, make it easy for them to send their money and, uh, and grant them citizenship in many cases as well. The EU is not happy with Cyprus. There's a huge potential for corruption in this scheme, and Cyprus has been forced to make some changes to the program. Absolutely. Up until early 2019, the due diligence required for getting a um, a separate passport through investment were, were relatively lax. It was largely up to the individual applicant to prove whether or not they had a criminal record. So Cyprus came under a huge amount of pressure and eventually came up with some laws to tighten who could get these golden passports. So here's what Cyprus has done. They agreed they wouldn't sell citizenship to anyone who's being investigated for or wanted of or convicted of crimes. That would also include people who faced sanctions or worked for companies that faced sanctions and also politically exposed individuals. They also pledged to check if existing holders hid any facts on their applications. So things get a little more complicated because they also said, we'll take away passports from people who've disgraced Cyprus by breaking the law. The only problem was there wasn't a clear way of doing this. So at the end of July this year, laws were passed to give the government those powers. But there's still something missing, because the 2019 rules aren't retrospective, so they can't take passports away from people who, by today's standards, would be considered unfit. So they're making changes. Many say they haven't gone far enough. I wonder if there's anyone in the leak or in the list that would cause one to question Cyprus's commitment to the enforcement, something that shows that they're not following even the rules that they've already passed. So some of the passports sold in 2019, the year the stricter rules are introduced, really do raise an eyebrow. And when you have someone like Nikolai Gornovsky, who gets approved for his passport in June, he's a former boss of state-owned energy giant Gazprom, who the Russians have tried several times now to extradite from the UK to face abuse of power charges. Or you've got Yuri Obadovsky, Wanted since 2018 for paying bribes, he gets his passport in May 2019. Yeah, look, it it makes you question how committed Cyprus is to its own rules. And look, even if they hadn't come into force yet, aren't these exactly the kind of high-risk individuals that ministers had agreed to crack down on? These guys are wanted men. The 2019 rules say wanted men don't get passports. Why are they being given citizenship just before the rules come into play? Alex Crutcher in London. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Nikolai Gornowski, Russian national. 
Apart from Russia, the second most common country of origin for passport applications was China. And to help us sort through this angle, I'm joined by Sarah Yo, a senior producer out of our Doha Bureau. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Kevin. How are you going? Oh, I'm fine. Um, Sarah, as a native speaker, you were tasked with the very difficult job of sorting through hundreds of Chinese names. And we're going to get into that arduous investigative task in just a moment. But why don't we start with another name on our list, one that is well known to many Chinese, that is Yang Huyan. Yes, well, uh, Yang Huiyan, she is said to be Asia's richest woman. This year, Forbes estimated her to be worth $27 billion. And she's quite an interesting character because she's a majority shareholder in a real estate company called Country Garden Holdings. Now, what they do is they build high-end homes for high net worth clients. Sarah, just to, to confirm, you said $27 billion, right? That's correct, $27 I think it's closer to $28, but yes, estimated at $27.7 billion. She's quite interesting because her husband and her father are also political officials, so that makes her a politically exposed person. Right, so she's a pep. Exactly. She's China's richest woman, and she's also very private. I'm looking at the numbers here. 500 of the 2,500 names on our list are Chinese. That's 20%. And it fell to you to try to verify the identities of these people. I know from past investigations just how difficult that is. Yes. So basically, I think the problem was that there were so many names. And it's quite hard to translate a Chinese name and know exactly which word it is. So something that sounds a certain way in another language can mean four or five different words. And when you've got three words put together, the permutations are endless. So what we had to do was eliminate and narrow down our search. So then how did you approach this, uh, this task? Uh, we went through company registries. Uh, we went through different databases, which are quite hard to access when you're out of the country. It was weeks of work, Kevin. It was a long elimination process. We had a list of requirements of what allows a person to be a passport holder in Cyprus. So if it's a $2.5 million minimum buy-in, that eliminates a lot of people. Hey, Sarah, what does the Chinese government think about all this? Are they really cool with all these folks having Cyprus passports? Well, it's hard to say for sure what they're thinking. But what we do know is that China's making inroads into Cyprus. It's all part of their Belt and Road Initiative, So the Chinese government sees it as a very strategic location that bridges Europe and Asia. Look, Cyprus is eager to court Chinese investment as well. Both presidents signed a cooperation document in 2019, and China has been investing in ports, sea transportation, infrastructure. So it's not surprising at all that the Chinese are setting up a beachhead here. On the other hand, we know that many wealthy individuals see the Golden Passport as a key to over 80 countries visa-free, its new business markets for them, and perhaps more importantly, they see it as a backup plan. It's seen as a safe place to park their wealth in case something goes wrong back home, economically or politically. Yeah, and we know China's been even more aggressive lately tracking down officials living abroad. Yeah, that's right, Kevin. Now, President Xi Jinping launched a major anti-corruption campaign several years ago. 
Um, and it's believed to use covert operations to track down those that they see as corrupt officials who have fled the country. And they're trying to bring them back to China. So can a Cyprus passport really provide protection if China wants to extradite someone? We asked one of the world's experts for his take, Professor Steve Sang, the director of the SOAS China Institute, University of London. He says being European might provide some protection. One could petition the European Court of Human Rights, for instance. But he says the Cypriot government won't be much help. Cyprus will never stand up against China if push comes to shock. So if one were talking about an individual who has acquired, say, U.S. citizenship, that person can expect the U.S. government to give him or her uh, protection. Acquiring a recipient passport, I don't think, makes somebody not vulnerable to Chinese long arms of the, of the law. Uh, listen, Sarah, before I let you go, there's another name, or actually it's a group of names I want to ask about. This has to do with a company called Melco. It's a publicly traded company based in Hong Kong, and uh, they got a contract to build a casino in Cyprus. Uh, yes, Melco is a very interesting one, Kevin. From what we understand, 17 company members received citizenship. These are people from America, Canada, the UK, Hong Kong. So what happened was, in 2017, Melco won the contract to build a casino in Cyprus. At the moment, they've got four smaller pop-up casinos around, and those are going to close when the big one comes. Yeah, and they're building this thing called City of Dreams. That's the big casino that they're building. It's just outside of Limassol. At the moment, it's not ready yet. It's a huge construction site. But what's really interesting about Melco is that CEO Lawrence Ho is the son of Stanley Ho. Stanley Ho was known as the godfather of gambling before he died earlier this year. He's known as the person who is responsible for making Macau the gambling destination that's on par with Las Vegas. Sarah Yeo, senior producer in Doha, thank you. Thank you very much, Kevin. Alexei Kordachev, Russian national. Natalia Veselyuk, Ukrainian national. Application date. Shamil Mangazov, Russian national. Date of application. Russian national. Nagan Abdaryan, Russian national. Hussein Adnouis. There's one more person I want to talk to, and that is Phil Reese, Al Jazeera's director of investigative journalism. He runs the unit and has overseen this project from top to tail. Hi, Phil. Hey, Kevin. Good to be with you. Phil, there's a lot I want to talk to you about, but let me start, as I've done with everyone, by asking you about a person on our list. You're someone who knows the Middle East well, and there are a number of high-profile people from the region listed here, including Hussein al-Nuwais. Who is he, and why is he worth mentioning? Well, al-Nuwais is Emirati um, from the UAE. On one level, he's a businessman, a very successful one. He runs companies. He's vice chairman of Abu Dhabi Commercial Bank. But when you look closely, he also talks for his country in trade deals and is involved in state-run oil and steel companies in the Emirates. His influence goes beyond his business role. Due to his ability to influence diplomatic, political decisions, we do know that he meets interesting people, and amongst them the pro-Russian leader of Chechnya, Ramzan Kadyrov. Comparing him to other human rights abusers, the U.S. NGO Freedom House has listed the authoritarian leader of the Russian Republic among the worst of the worst. 
he also has been photographed with Saudi's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The CIA has reportedly concluded the order to kill Jamal Khashoggi was given by the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Another one that we tracked down was Prince Andrew, who, of course, um, acted as Britain's trade envoy at one point before he was engulfed in the scandal surrounding his friend uh, Jeffrey Epstein. You were staying at the house of yes. a convicted sex offender. It was a convenient place to stay. Remember, Kevin, we have no evidence of wrongdoing against Al Nawais, but his application goes beyond that of a private citizen. We consider him, again, a politically exposed person. There's another interesting thing um, about Al Nawais's application. It was approved after the rule change banning PEPs was announced, but just before it came into force. And throughout the Cyprus papers, we see a pattern here, a pattern that quite honestly raises suspicions. And several other cases show this up too, that people have been approved at the 11th hour, at the cusp of a rule change that tightens um, the ability of people to get Cypriot and European passports. Al Nuez is a pep, so that's why we're naming him. But there are a number of people in the Cyprus papers that are just very rich people. They're private citizens with no political ties or links to criminal activity. Walk me through the decision on who to name versus who not to name. Well, we had very lengthy discussions as to this um, issue, including with with our lawyers and uh, people discussing the editorial merits of naming people. Now, I think it's important to give a background on this. Al Jazeera is a signatory to Britain's Office of Communications, Ofcom. It's Britain's media regulator. It happens to be a British standard, but it's also, in my view, a great defender of investigative journalism. And again, in my view, maybe controversial in the United States, but I think it operates more effectively than the First Amendment does in order to protect investigative journalism that is in the public interest. So it's a statutory thing. We need a clear public interest in releasing people's names because people do have a right to privacy. The argument goes, of course, that should the people of Cyprus and Europe have the right to know who is buying citizenship and the right to live and work in their territory? That's one argument. The other, if you're a wealthy private citizen who goes through the proper and legal procedure um, to apply for a passport for them and their family, does it serve the public interest to publish their names? So that was a debate. We fell on the side of the fact there wasn't a public interest in publishing their names unless they'd been involved in wrongdoing or indeed they were a public figure. That is, they were a politically exposed person. We step back and we look at the, the breadth of this story, all the details that are going to come out because of it. Why is this story important? And, and what change do you think can and should happen when the public sees what we've discovered here? I think the best way to answer this is to quote a former justice commissioner. I think she's now the current vice president of the European Commission. She says there are Trojan horses which allow criminals to use the European Union as a refuge for corruption and dirty money. And, you know, she also said that criminals um, of this ilk are endangering Europe's security. Now, Cyprus has been a weak link in Europe uh, for a long time. And, you know, perhaps the release of the Cyprus papers will add to the public pressure and certainly understanding of the dangers of not tightening up on this. 
How much confidence should we have that that change will really happen in Cyprus and that they're taking this seriously? We'll, we'll see. Um, Cyprus has said it's changed its rules. They've given a commitment to that, and that's very positive. But skeptics think that there is a reluctance to change um, these rules because, of course, the country is making so much money out of it. There are others who study this, and Laure Briand from Transparency International is one of them. And I think it's fair to say she's pretty skeptical. So it looks more uh, like a facade to reassure Brussels and brush away any criticism than something done in real good faith. Cyprus authorities have been announcing measures more as a way to reassure Brussels than actually as a way to really mitigate the risks that were identified. And it's probably a way to avoid the Commission coming uh, strong on them and just saying, like, just now you phase out your programme. This was a major investigation for us, you know, two and a half thousand documents, applications, by the way, from 74 countries. And we've spent months identifying these people and profiling them. I've had at one time six or seven people involved in this production. We talked about a number of names. I wonder if in the time remaining, there's anyone else you think is worth mentioning? I mean, look, we're highlighting a lot of colourful people. Maybe we can end with one of the most perhaps embarrassing examples of them all for the government of Cyprus. And that's a Vietnamese businessman called uh, Pham Nhat Phu. Now, interestingly enough, he was already charged and facing trial when he received his passport. And uh, during his trial, he admitted giving um, backhanders in a telecoms deal. He tells the judge, Your Honour, I gave bribes. And the judge says to him, How much? And then Pham says, uh, in a very straight voice, I gave three million US dollars. Here's a guy being delivered, presumably by courier, his passport, while he's in this predicament. And, you know, if the Cyprus government was unaware of this, then I would certainly suggest their vetting system is flawed. Phil Reese, Al Jazeera's director of investigative journalism on the line from Doha. Thanks, Phil. Thank you, Kevin. A pleasure. Bam Nat Fu, Vietnamese national Hong application Lebanese. Fushan Chinese national application date October 17. Russian national. That will do it for this episode of Al Jazeera Investigates. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and, hey, maybe even give us a review. That would be great. And if you are interested in learning more about the Cyprus Papers, we have got you covered. Go to our website, aljazeera.com slash cypresspapers. There you can find Al Jazeera news stories, a digital video from Phil showcasing some of the characters we talked about here, and many more. There's also a long read jam-packed with detail, an interactive site that profiles 100 people who are part of the Cypress Papers. Check it out. This episode was produced by me, Kevin Hurton, with help from Deborah Davies, Alex Crutcher, Sarah Yo, and Phil Reese, Al Jazeera's Director of Investigative Journalism. Leo Safayanis, he does the final edit and sound mix. The show's executive producer is Joe DeFrius, and Al Jazeera's head of audio is Graylin Brashear. Oh, and special thanks to the producers of The Take. They provided the voices for our Cypress Papers lists. And if you're not already listening to The Take, I would strongly advise you to start. That's it for this episode of Al Jazeera Investigates. We'll see you next time.